Hi, welcome to A Look Behind and Rewind. I'm your host, Tom Nielsen. Well, folks, we've now made it to the end of another year. And what a year it was. But honestly now, when you think about some of those other years we've all had from days gone by, can you really say that this one tops all? Well, that depends on how far back you want to go. Some folks who lived through Vietnam or the Korean War or maybe even World War II might have a different opinion. Some of those years were pretty momentous indeed. Uh, yeah. As for me, I can remember watching television with my folks on one of those New Year's Eve nights way back in the 1950s. Back then, a band leader named Guy Lombardo was the undisputed king of New Year's Eve. Remember him? You better believe it. Typically at our house, my old man would go out to the local tavern and bring back an extra-large cheese pizza. Now, this wasn't your ordinary run-of-the-mill pizza, mind you. This was a genuine, mouth-watering, thin-crusted New Jersey pizza. Yum. And yes, folks, those were the days before there were any big national chains like Pizza Hut, Domino's, Little Caesars, etc. Wow. And once my father got back with this giant pizza still steaming inside the cardboard box, we'd all retire to the living room, turn on the old black and white TV set, and hunker down for an evening of schmaltzy, old-fashioned entertainment by Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians. And now, from the world-famous Waldorf Astoria Hotel on Fashionable Park Avenue, where New York's glamorous high society is celebrating New Year's Eve in the Grand Ballroom, it's the Royal Canadians and Mr. New Year's Eve himself, Guy Lombardo. Well, folks, thank you very much, and welcome to our New Year's Eve party. Not only do you folks here in the Waldorf Astoria, but all of you looking in on CBS all over this station and the Canadian great TV stations, too. Now we'll get our dancing underway at our first number. You know what always puzzled me? Here we were, citizens of the good old U.S. of A., and what were we watching? A bunch of Canadians. <laughs> Now, I don't have anything against Canadians, believe me. I have known some pretty cool Canadians in my time. And when I was growing up, one of my best friends was a Canadian. But doesn't this strike anyone else as a little bit odd that an American tradition like New Year's Eve was being commandeered by a guy from north of the border? You know, the land of polar bears, Royal Canadian Mounties, and crazy hockey fans? <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. I really love Canada. I've gone there on vacation a number of times. But back then, as a naive young kid, I couldn't help wondering why Guy Lombardo was the almighty grand pooba of New Year's. Yeah. But of course, times change, and it was only a matter of years before the king was finally overthrown, and a new monarch entered the scene. The year was 1972. Dick Clark, the guy behind American Bandstand, came up with the idea for New Year's Rockin' Eve, a youth-oriented alternative to the fuddy-duddy crowd that was still hooked on Guy Lombardo. 
Hi, this is Dick Clark, live from Times Square. We're at approximately 45th Street in New York City at 1 Astor Plaza. And if we got a happy group of people downstairs, all the way downstairs at Times Square, you can't slip an envelope between them. They're so close together. During its first year on the air, New Year's Rockin' Eve was broadcast on NBC and hosted by Three Dog Night and George Carlin with Dick Clark reporting on the ball drop in New York's Times Square. And then in 1974, the program switched networks to ABC, and Dick Clark took over all of the hosting duties, where he remained as the main star and producer up until around 2004, when he suffered a stroke and had to cut back on his on-air appearances. Ultimately, as you all know, Ryan Seacrest took over the hosting duties at that point and is still there at ABC doing his thing, having become just as much an institution as Guy Lombardo was in those early days. But you know, there was one time back when New Year's Rock and Eve was first getting started that Dick Clark nearly didn't make it to the Times Square ball drop. Some of you listeners may remember my podcast from about two years ago when I featured some interviews with Dick Clark. Those have been recorded only a year or two after the story I'm about to share. It was 1973, and I was still in college. Our on-campus broadcasting club at Syracuse University had managed to land Dick Clark as a guest speaker at our annual awards banquet, and I was bound and determined to make sure that this event would come off as planned, without a hitch. And so to do that, I kept up a running correspondence with Dick Clark's office in Los Angeles in order to guarantee that he would honor his commitment and show up for the banquet in April of 1974. And during those months of watching and waiting, one of the things I did to solidify the relationship was making arrangements to meet Clark in New York during winter break so I could go over some of the details of his upcoming appearance in Syracuse. Well, as it turned out, we met backstage at the famous Ed Sullivan Theater, where he was currently taping a game show called $10,000 Pyramid. And during that brief meeting, one thing that I learned was that he had recently caught a cold and was feeling a wee bit under the weather. Not enough to prevent him from doing his game show duties, obviously. But still, it was clear that he's burning the candle at both ends, which he was famous for doing. And this meeting of ours, by the way, was just days before his gig at New Year's Rockin' Eve on Times Square. Wow! As many of you know, the weather has always been a big question mark for the New Year's Eve celebration. And that particular year was no exception. On December 31st, it was cold, wet, rainy, dreary. Probably one of the yuckiest days on record for the big ball drop. And so that night, at home, when I tuned in for the big New Year's Rockin' Eve broadcast, I didn't quite know what to expect. But as soon as Dick Clark got on camera, all bundled up in a heavy leather coat holding a giant umbrella and said his first words, I could tell from the sound of his voice that maybe he hadn't gotten over his cold yet. If anything, it was probably even worse. Or at least that's the way it sounded to me on our funky old home TV. But Dick Clark, being the professional that he was, he was out there in the wind and cold, carrying on as if nothing was wrong. 
As the saying goes, the show must go on. And Dick Clark was living proof of that. Amazing. In the many years since that day, I've often thought about that experience. And I've wondered, what would I have done if I were in his shoes? Now, those of you who know me can attest to the fact that I absolutely hate cold, wet, bone-chilling weather. And I'm not a very happy camper either when it comes to suffering with a cold or flu. So would I have been able to do what Dick Clark did on that cold, miserable night in 1974 in Times Square? Probably not. But he managed to do it year after year for almost 40 years. I guess the secret to Dick Clark's longevity, as well as his long-running popularity, was in his philosophy towards life and work. Here's what he had to say about that in a phone interview I did with him back in the mid-1970s. You're a man who's traveled three million miles, entertained millions of people, presented thousands of acts, and incidentally happened to be a self-made millionaire. How do you perceive this tremendous success that you have achieved? It's a combination of uh, two or three factors. One was, uh, the first and foremost, was enjoying good health through the period. The second one was knowing very early in life the kind of work I wanted to do. The third was... Uh, fancy word for stick-to-itiveness, uh, tenacity. Hmm. And the fourth, of course, is a modicum of good luck and timing. The old thing, the sweet smell of success is the smell of perspiration. That's not original, but it's a very, very astute observation of people who do what they want to do, whether they achieve financial success or inner success or worldly acclaim or whatever the hell success is. If you, If you if you achieve what you wanted to achieve and you're happy doing it, that's success. And it usually means the guy worked his ass off. And finally, as a way of remembering the legendary Dick Clark and his contribution to New Year's Rockin' Eve, here's a little montage of sound bites from Clark's many, many years covering the event on Times Square, thanks to a special segment produced and aired by Ryan Seacrest during the 2022 coverage. Five. Four, three, two, one, and a happy New Year's rockin' Eve! Dick Clark, can you tell us what's shaking in Times Square? You don't really want to know what's shaking here. It's old Dick Clark shaking in Times Square. While the commercial was on, I went over to get my water to have a drink. It's frozen! Dick Clark passed away in 2012, but he lives on in our hearts and memories as the man who brought about a changing of the guard when it comes to celebrating New Year's Eve. Wow. Perhaps a very fitting way to close out this particular podcast episode is with a phrase that originated on American Bandstand and which could easily apply to New Year's Rockin' Eve as well. I gave it a 90. I felt it had a good beat also, and it was easy to dance to. It's got a good beat, and you can dance to it. You've been listening to A Look Behind and Rewind. I'm Tom Nielsen. See you next time. Hi, this is Tom Nielsen. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're invited to hear more of our episodes at A Look Behind and Rewind. And feel free to share our link with friends, family, and others, as well as following us on buzzsprout.com, Apple, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts.